Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's program possible. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. Amazing. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, your exercise, and medication decisions. All those decisions can lead to big results like more time in range and a lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Thanks, Dexcom, for being our partner. The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zinn for a spin. Zinn nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zin 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free, spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Will there ever be justice for Abby and Libby, the two beautiful little girls that were slaughtered in Delphi, with a pharmacy tech behind bars awaiting trial, in the last days, wild rumors have surfaced that one of the girls was decapitated or near decapitated. Uh, another rumor that the wrong guy's behind bars and the real killer is walking free. Yeah, they said that about O.J. Simpson, too, didn't they? And Scott Peterson. And Robert Blake. Gosh, I could go on and on about the real killers that are walking free. I'm Nancy Grace. This is Crime Stories. Thank you for being with us here at Crime Stories and on Sirius XM 111. Let's talk about the truth. As the trial approaches, what is the truth about the murders of these two beautiful little girls. Joining me, an all-star panel to make sense of what we know right now. But first, I want to go to Barbara McDonald joining us, Court TV documentary producer and co-host of Down the Hill podcast. Barbara McDonald, thank you for being with us, along with her, Susan Hendricks, journalist and author of Down the Hill, My Descent into the Double Murder in Delphi. 
my former colleague at HLN, Barbara Susan, thank you for being with us. First of all, Barbara, in all of your research and everything you have discovered in your Down the Hill podcast, have you ever heard anything about one of these two little girls, Libby or Abby, being decapitated? No, not to that extent. Um, I've heard near decapitation, but that was very early on in the investigation. And I think it largely came from those text messages that are attributed to uh, Abby's uh, step-uncle or half-uncle, um, David Erskine, who claims in those text messages, if they're legitimate, that he was one of the volunteers to have found the bodies. And he recounted some of the things that that he claimed existed at the crime scene and with regard to the girls. I know that there's a lot of information contained in those messages that is not accurate. And that's one of them. What information would Erskine have written or texted that would suggest one of the girls was decapitated or near decapitated? Well, we do know from the defense filings that the girls had fatal injuries to their necks that were caused by some sort of an edged weapon. And it's possible that a volunteer who came upon that scene might have thought it looked perhaps different than it actually was. But my understanding is that um, both girls were completely intact. Uh, new rumors are swirling to Cheryl McCollum, my longtime friend and colleague, forensic expert, founder and director of the Cold Case Research Institute and star of Zone 7, the hit podcast. Cheryl McCollum, I, I don't understand how it benefits anyone to heap on gossip about these two little girls. Gossip like um, the real killer is someone else. The real killer is walking free. That Libby was near beheaded, quote, out of rage. Why? Nancy, you and I both know there's a big difference between verified information and potentially harmful speculation and rumor. You have to ask yourself, how does this benefit the families of these girls? How does this benefit law enforcement? How does this benefit the prosecution? And the answer down the line is it doesn't, not at all. So to me, this can only be just reduced to almost a carnival barker. You're just trying to get hits and likes and people to watch what you're doing. That's all this is. And when you're you're relying on people that we've never heard from, you're relying on people that are exes or somewhere on the perimeter that they've kept this knowledge. Well, hold on. I know where you're headed with that, Cheryl McCollum. The very wild Delphi murder theory has now reared its ugly head again. An ex girlfriend, ex-girlfriend of a former person of interest, Ron Logan, insists that he, Logan, is the real killer, not the pharmacy tech behind bars who has admitted to the murders, who had the gun, whose bullet was found at the scene between the two dead bodies, and it cycled through his gun used as a scare technique on the girls. You know how somebody, like in the movies, cocks the gun and twists the barrel. That's what he did. And 
one of those bullets fell out of his gun in his demonstrations to the two victims. Long story short, that bullet matches the gun at the defendant's home. That is incredibly probative, proves something. But that said, I want you to hear, cut one, three, four, Jackie. I want you to hear our friend Rachel Bonilla from Crime Online. Connie Dillman is the ex-girlfriend of Ron Logan. She claims they met in a bar and hit it off over their love of horses and the outdoors. Their six-year relationship had come to an end by the time of the Delphi murders, and Dillman believes Ron Logan is the killer. She says the voice on the tape saying down the hill is absolutely him. She also claims that Logan was violent, and when she refused him sex one night, he hit her with a wrench causing seven stitches. Dillman has yet to say why she waited until now to speak up. Ron Logan died in 2022 of COVID-19. You know, uh, to you, Kim Dumlap joining us, a reporter from Kokomo Tribune. Kim, thank you for being with us. Why was Logan a POI person of interest to start with, other than the bodies were found on his property? You know, I feel like at one point, especially early on, everyone, you know, that, that matched this sketch was potentially the suspect. And I feel like Ron Logan, to a lot of people, matched that that first sketch. Now, there was a second sketch that came out, looked a, a lot different than the first one. But I, I feel like a lot of it was just because this was his property. He, you know, he, he went on, uh, I think, a couple, you know, talk shows or, or a couple, you know, media outlets back then and, and kind of talked about the, the case in the beginning. But, you know, it, you kind of talked to the people in town, you know, at the time and, and he had a search warrant at his house and you kind of talked to people at the time and, Oh, we got him. We got him. You know, we got Ron Logan. This is the guy. And then it sort of went away. You know, it came back a couple of years ago, but I mean, really, I, I think it was just the nature of the beast back then that if you went public with any information about Delphi, that you were just, you know, automatically, if you, if, especially if you look like that sketch, you fit that that person. You were you were them. You were, you were that person. You were the bridge guy. So why was Ron Logan a person of interest at the beginning of this investigation? And why have new rumors resurfaced now? Listen to Sydney Sumner from Crime Stories. Ron Logan was a person of interest when Libby German and Abby Williams were murdered. Their bodies were found on his property, his house only 1,400 feet from where the girls were discovered. Logan matched the appearance of the man in the blue jacket walking on the bridge that was captured in Snapchat footage taken by the girls. Just before they disappeared, the girls took a video where a heavyset man in a blue jacket is heard saying, down the hill. Investigators have long believed the voice on the film belongs to someone who took part in the murders or did it by himself. Ron Logan was questioned by detectives at length. They sweated him in jail over a probation violation, but when his alibi checked out, police let him go and moved on to other potential suspects. The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zen for a spin. Zen Nicotine Pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Ready to start your new journey? Get in gear with the Zen 10 Challenge. Enjoy Zen Nicotine Pouches for 10 days and discover a fresher way to experience nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. Here's how to get started with the Zen 10 Challenge. 
Simply pick your strength and varieties online and check out. Once your Zen nicotine pouches arrive in the mail, enjoy pure nicotine satisfaction at your leisure. After your 10-day trial, let us know what you think. If Zen isn't for you, no hard feelings. It's that simple. Order online at Zyn.com. That's Z-Y-N.com to start your new journey today with the Zyn 10 Challenge. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's crime stories possible. It's Lisa Mattress. Don't let a bad mattress stand between you and a good night's sleep. Lisa Mattress can help. From memory foam mattresses that hug in all the right places to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer incredible comfort and support at every price point. Collectively, their mattresses have over 20,000 five-star reviews. Delivery is free, returns are easy, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your own home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash Nancy for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com forward slash Nancy. Thanks, Lisa Mattress, for being our partner. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Let me ask this. Uh, Cheryl McCollum joining us from Zone 7. Cheryl, why now? Why is this re-emerging now, cleansed by an ex-girlfriend, that Ron Logan is the killer, not the perp sitting behind bars who has confessed? Apparently, she has come out and said, that's his voice, that's him on the bridge. I knew it when they first released it. And then she goes on to say that she called the tip line to even report it. But I don't know where in the last seven years she's been. I don't know how forceful she was with her understanding and determination that this was, in fact, Ron Logan. She hasn't been forceful, but she has been talking. She has, um, I first met her um, in 2021 and heard her story. Um, And then after she and I spoke, she did start uh, participating in some of the Facebook groups and commenting online uh, with a bit of her story. Wait, 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 wait. Barbara McDonald, I'm all about people participating in Facebook groups. But did she go to police at the time she heard down the hill and say, that 
is Ron Logan. She told me in 2021 that she did, in fact, do that and that she did, in fact, have an interview with the FBI around that time. And at that juncture, let me go to Susan Hendricks, joining us, journalist and author of Down the Hill, My Descent into the Double Murder in Delphi. Susan, thank you for being with us. If she spoke to detectives in 2021 and they followed up, they actually held Logan, questioned him and investigated him and let him go. What more can you tell us, Susan Hendricks? Yeah, thanks for having me, Nancy. It's great to be on. And there were other names mentioned throughout this long period of time close to six years before anyone was in custody. Daniel Nations, Paul Etter, James Chadwell, Kevin Klein, Tony Klein, and of course, Ron Logan, who we're discussing. And I did see uh, the sound from his ex-girlfriend, and I felt for her, but I believe it's confirmation bias. She sees what she wants to see. What was telling to me was that there were never any charges against Ron Logan. Two searches of his property, two, in March 2017, and he was never arrested or charged with the crime. So that was telling to me. And you spoke of kind of the craziness going on around this. And I uh, told Becky this morning, I sent her a text that I was going to be on your show. And she said, there's so much craziness right now that if you talked about that, you'd be on the show for hours. So there is a gag order. They take it seriously, but they're very aware of all of this chaos going on. And it's certainly not helping. Well, I want to circle back Cheryl McCollum to her coming forward and claiming that's my ex-boyfriend right there, the one that beat me. The offense, if I'm wrong, correct me if I am, was February 13, 2017. Mm -hmm. And she goes forward claiming it's her ex-boyfriend in 2020. No, she went forward in 20, in 2017. It, it was short. It was within days or, or a week or two. Okay, I'm sorry. I thought you said 2021. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I spoke to her in 2021, and she told me her story. But, yeah, she did speak to the FBI uh, back in the very early days of the investigation when the FBI was very active, involved in that investigation. And I just wanted to correct one other thing. Um, that taped piece you played said that his alibi checked out. Ron Logan's alibi did not check out. And that is one of the things that I think gives um, some wiggle room here and a big question mark on him is he does not have an alibi. According to cell tower data, his phone was at his property at 2.09 p.m. We know from the video that Libby took on her phone that the girls were approached on the bridge at 2.13. Ron had claimed for many years that he was on surveillance video at this tropical fish store in Lafayette some 30 minutes away, but that store didn't have surveillance video. So there is no proof that he was elsewhere. His phone puts him near his property. That does not mean that he's the killer of the girls, but his alibi does not check out. Cheryl McCollum, was his alibi confirmed by people that worked at the store? My memory is he had a receipt, but the time still gave him enough room that he could have gone to the store and back in the period of time that the girls went missing and were then killed. But, but I want to point out something. In the seven years that this has been investigated and been highlighted, law enforcement, the volunteer searchers, and the family have not leaked information to mm -hmm. the general public. There was so much we never knew. 
We never knew how they were murdered. We never knew exactly how they were found, clothed or unclothed. Nobody violated that. So I am, again, questioning the timing of somebody that wants to come in and violate it now so close to trial this coming October. What are you talking about, Cheryl? Don't be mysterious. Who do you believe has violated a gag order? What I'm saying is I'm not trying to be mysterious. I'm trying to be straight out with it. All of these people have kept information. How what were people? they murdered? That's never been what peep Who Everybody, do you believe has violated a gag order? I don't know that they violated a gag order because I think they're on the perimeter of it. The ex-girlfriend's not under a gag order. These cousins or aunts and whatnot are not under a gag order. My point is I don't know why they would at this point try to say things this close to trial that are only for shock value. Are you talking about so-called documentaries that claim the girls are decapitated or near decapitated and claims the wrong person is and claims the wrong person is behind bars and that the real killer is Ron Logan? Claims like that? Of course, a hundred percent. Cheryl, speaking of what is true and that we know, you obtained information about how is the best way to put it, how the girls were buried. How were they clothed? for burial, what can you tell us? I know that they had scarves around their necks, and I think there's at least two other people on this panel today that heard the same information. So again, we know quite possibly their throats were cut. I don't think that would be a shock to any expert in this country looking at a double homicide of two young females that were also more than likely sexually assaulted. But again, that's not something that we ever talked about. That is not something we ever put out there for the integrity of this case and out of respect for the family. But I too spoke to a family member and told them that I was gonna be on today and that I was gonna be as upfront as I possibly could. Well, people on the inside of the case or near the family, we have known for a long time that the throats have been slashed, but claims of a decapitation or a near decapitation and that the wrong person is behind bars, um, that's all new to me. I don't know that any of that is true. Joe Scott Morgan joining us, professor of forensics, Jacksonville State University, and author of Blood Beneath My Feet on Amazon, host of a hit series, Body Bags with Joe Scott Morgan. Joe Scott, you have studied the case from the very beginning. I'm trying to sort out what's true and what's not true and bottom line is that somehow all of these um, pronouncements, many of them baseless, is that somehow going to hurt the trial? What can you tell me about your analysis of what happened? The idea relative to the deaths of these two young girls, uh, I, I've, I've held from the beginning that they were specifically targeted and well, what, to, what do you mean by that? That they were spotted in the park that day or well, that they had I th been I think that, uh, being stalked for months that. and yeah, let me, what? Let, okay. Yeah, let me rephrase that. I think that there was probably an awareness of these young girls. Well, for Pete's the sake, the defendant was the pharmacy tech right there in the middle of town. He knew them and their families. You are correct about that. And so my thought is, is that this was an opportunistic event where the individual was looking for targets because they had an awareness of the school being out that particular day. 
they had the individual that is the perpetrator in this case had a pre uh, a preset location where he was going to take them to where he would have time with them or whichever victim had come along at that particular time that would suit his needs. Um, and it would be in a location where he could have access to them, have privacy with them, because if what we are hearing about the crime scene, uh, this is a complex crime scene, I think, um, with a lot of evidence that was down immediately adjacent to the bodies. Now, we've gotten off, you know, chasing rabbits, I think, uh, relative to a lot of this this stuff that's floating around out there about how they could have potentially have been, you know, sacrificed by Odinist and all these sorts of things. But at its bare bones, what does the science tell us? And we don't have a lot that has been released to this point relative to them. I think one of the most disturbing things is you've got admittedly a lot of intimate contact that's going on, but yet we don't have DNA linkage that goes back to the primary suspect in this case. How about under the girl's fingernails, specifically Libby's? Yeah, and I think that that is a potential place to harvest that DNA from because you're going to have somebody that's fighting back. Uh, For folks that don't know how this works, if you think about a plow going into kind of virgin soil um, and it's dragging along, creates furrows. That's one of the things that you begin to think about with the fingernails where you're going to capture skin, blood, hair um, that's beneath the fingernails. And they would have done, look, they, they didn't just do nail scrapings and nail clippings at autopsy. They did rape kits as well, Nancy. I can almost perfectly guarantee that. They also did alternative lighting photography, which is using things like infrared. If you can pick up on anything, any kind of marks on the body, I hope that they did all of this. They they put on a full court press with this to try to collect as much data as they could from these bodies. Well, isn't it true uh, that we have been told at the get-go, Cheryl, that Abby was dressed, Libby was not some variation of that yes i've heard different type rumors but yes that's what we've been told rumors gossip innuendo now could damage the trial based on what an ex-girlfriend that claims to recognize the defendant's voice saying down the hill played on a loop let's talk about the evidence that we do know uh to susan hendricks barbara mcdonald and cheryl mccollum what evidence do we know that connects the defendant who is headed for trial right now, number one, his admission behind bars while on the phone, all of those calls are being recorded to family members claiming he did it. Number two, the bullet from his gun based on hard ballistics forensics found at the scene between the bodies, matched back to his gun, still in his possession at his home. And also feline hair, cat hair. Police actually exhumed a family cat from the defendant, Allen's yard, to match up to cat hair found on one of the victims. A victim that we don't believe has ever been in the defendant's home. Now, Cheryl, I find those three pieces of evidence to be damning. What more can you add? I mean, again, the fact that he told a law enforcement person that he was there that day, that to me is so critical. 
the fact that perhaps his car. You mean at the trestle bridge? Yes, at the bridge. He places himself. I mean, it's just there. like Scott Peterson going, yeah, I was at mm -hmm. the marina the day Lacey went missing. Exactly. At the body of water where I was fishing, but exactly. that was just a big coinky dink. And what's a grown man with a family doing out in the middle of the day when he should be working by himself, walking on a trestle bridge at the same time the girls go missing and are murdered? And they didn't seek him out. He sought them out to tell them, hey, I was here. If you need anything, I can help you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's going to be some other things that come out. Mm -hmm. You know, you they have not told us everything. I keep harping on that. And there's a reason they're playing this so close to the vest. And, and nor should they. Should they. Barbara McDonald joining us, Court TV documentary producer and producer of HLN's Down the Hill podcast. Barbara, what evidence in your mind is the strongest evidence linking the defendant, Allen, to the murders of Libby and Abby. I think his own admission in the beginning that he was out there, that he was dressed similarly to the man that Libby captured on the video, um, and that the witness statements, while they're a little bit all over the place, there is a lot of uh, similarity in what the witnesses said, and they seem to have seen a man dressed like him around the time he says he was there. So that all seems to line up. So the fact that he places himself at the scene wearing the same kind of clothes as the guy pictured in the girl's cell phone. To you, Susan Hendricks, what do you believe is the strongest evidence linking Allen to the murders? I believe it is the unspent bullet. But as you know, Nancy, it could be the battle of the experts when they get on the stand. I've heard from um, some experts that it, yes, is like a fingerprint from others. I'm sure they will dispute that. To me, what stands out are those jailhouse calls that both the defense and the prosecution mentioned at a hearing this past June. And I always think back to Casey Anthony and those jailhouse calls. We know that the prisoners know that it is recorded. So it will be interesting to see exactly what was said and will it be played in court. To me, that's the most damning. And of course, as Cheryl and Barbara mentioned, being on the break side. What do you mean by jailhouse calls potentially being the most damning evidence? If the prosecution and the defense mentioned at that hearing in June that he did admit to doing this, to killing Abby and Libby, and I believe it was on an iPad or a phone call, a device that was recorded. So will they play it in court? I'm sure they will as evidence that he confessed to his wife and his mother. I mean, just so to you, Matthew Mangino joining us, high-profile lawyer, uh, former prosecutor in Lawrence County and author of The Executioner's Toll, The Crimes, Arrests, Trials, Appeals, Last Meals, and Final Words and executions of 46 persons in the U.S. Matthew Mangino, thank you for being with us. Matthew, why now, just as we're heading to trial, are all these wild theories and so-called specials occurring that are spouting out evidence that either is not true or is very harmful to the state's case? Well, uh, Nancy, obviously this case has generated a, a great deal of publicity and, and, you know, people, you know, want their opportunity for 15 minutes of fame. They want, you know, people want to talk to them. There's gag orders, so we don't know a lot that's going on 
uh, in court. And so, you know, if you're going to generate any uh, news about this case, it's going to come from people on the fringe. Uh, but what it does is it, is, is it contaminates, you know, the jury pool. I mean, so, so you have, you know, Carroll County is not a huge county. Uh, if you're going to try this case there and all this publicity is, is swirling around the community about, uh, you know, other offenders or other people involved or the salacious, you know, details of, of what happened, uh, that, that pool is going to be contaminated. And, and, you know, this, this case may need to be moved or another jury uh, brought in because of, uh, you know, this, these rumors that are swirling through the community and across the country. To Dr. Jory L. Crosin, a psychologist, former law enforcement, now faculty at St. Leo University. Dr. Jory, thank you for being with us. What is the, the motivator for people to make up stories or publish stories that are really just sensationalist and that could actually damage the trial? Yeah, we have this new dynamic, social influencers. Um, and, you know, people, they have these roles on their Facebooks, Twitter accounts, and all this with followers. You know, it was mentioned that confirmation bias. And that's, you know, basically what you see uh, when I kind of related to that. You know, she had this concept and she discounts, and it's normal, you discount things that don't support it, you just look at things that supported. And in the case of the ex-girlfriend where she was attacked and had, you know, violent interactions with him, you know, she just simply confirmed that and focused it into her concept of him being the perpetrator. One of the other things that we brought up early on was this possible decapitation. And behaviorally speaking, you know, I always look at behavior and with the behavior, there's there's time elements, you know, uh, and that all has to kind of factor in. And I remember when we discussed this case previously that there were time windows here, you know, like where the bodies were. They were kind of out in the open. It looked like they were probably attempting to be led into a more secluded area. So, you know, the the thing about the decapitation, I... I find that it's really not um, probably reliable because of the time that would would involve, and even when they use the term rage, you know, rage is a specific psychological level, right? What we call a paranoid shift, you know, where that rage just overtakes and you get lost in the time. It appears this person had, you know, the cognitive ability to relate to time. Even with the weapon where, I mean, you had a knife undoubtedly, but the firearm, you know, the firearm was meant more as a means of control, a threat, and especially if he chambered a round, you know, to me that would mean he already had a round in the chamber and he wanted to clear it, yeah, and fear, instill that fear with that forty caliber yeah. gun Yeah, scare sliding. the girls. So, you know, all this factors down into this, like this time window that, uh, to me, it created a very disorganized type personality. Guys, I want to talk about uh, the dissemination of evidence that has been leaked. Why? 
why leak evidence in this case, particularly this nature of evidence. Take a listen to Nicole Parton, Crime Online. Prosecutor in the Delphi murder case is Nick McLeland, and he listed 25 reasons he believes Judge Francis Gull should hold Richard Allen's attorneys in contempt of court. McLeland accuses Baldwin and Rossi of violating a gag order during their time as Allen's counsel. Most of the violation came in connection to an evidence leak out of Baldwin's office. A friend and former colleague, Mitch Westerman, was at Baldwin's office last October when he saw crime scene photos on a conference room table. Once he is alone, Westerman takes photos and sends them to a friend who releases them to social media. The leak led Baldwin and Rossi leaving the defense team for Richard Allen. Mitch Westerman admitted he took the photos without Baldwin or anyone else knowing and sent them out himself. Westerman now faces charges. To Cheryl McCollum, what were the photos of? They were straight up crime scene photographs of these two young victims. And Nancy, that was one leak. Another leak was this Odinism deal where every single expert in the country just about was like Odinism. I'd never heard of it. So to me, how do you introduce reasonable doubt and still not even be at trial? They've done it. They've done it here successfully a few times. Now you've got a whole jury pool expecting a beheading. You've got a whole jury pool expecting Odinism. You've got a whole jury pool that knows Ron Logan, Richard Allen. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's be clear what Odinism is. Odinism, and I've spoken to an expert on Odinism, is the worship of gods, demigods, such as, you know, Thor, the guy in the action movies. Odin is one of them. People still worship Odin, apparently. So somehow someone was trying to link the murders of Abby and Libby to the worship of Odin. Okay, I don't know how that panned out. Uh, not very well. But it's very disturbing, Cheryl McCollum, that someone would take pictures of pictures of little girls whose throats had been slashed and disseminate them on social media. Nancy, this family has been re-victimized over and over and over. It's like every week they wake up and there's something else. Oh, we're going to have a trial. Nope, we're not going to do it today. Oh, he's going to be moved. No, he's not going to be moved to a different place today. Oh, now there's Odinism. Oh, now there's a beheading. I mean, they wake up and get slapped in the face with this stuff. They didn't participate in the so-called documentary. They are just, again, waiting for the next shoe to drop and the next shoe to drop and still no justice for these little girls. To Susan Hendricks, journalist and author of Down the Hill, My Descent to the Double Murder in Delphi, even if a defense team itself had not leaked photos, the fact that they are, of these little girls, potentially naked and savaged, bloody, leaving them out for civilians not on the trial team to see is negligent. Yeah, exactly. I remember Kelsey telling me that her grandfather, Mike, was the one that first saw Libby's body. And she said, I never asked 
how she died and part of me doesn't want to know. So they're protecting themselves mentally, of course, going through this. And this was in 2019 when she said that to me. But there is a hearing on March 18th, contempt hearing. Um, and we'll see. I don't know why those photos were like it. It's just horrific. I remember Becky posting on Facebook. These are the pictures that we should be looking at of the girls. Uh, it's not our job to solve this. That's for the courtroom. And that's where they should be shown to the jurors, not out there on the Internet for everyone to see. And there's even word that maybe they were dying. And another thing to Barbara McDonald, a star of Down the Hill podcast. Barbara, what kind of ghoul would think, oh, let me take pictures of these two dead little girls and post them? It makes absolutely no sense. I don't understand how... Uh, I, I don't understand how they can be just displayed in a conference room that you're allowing people who are not actively working on that case to have access to that room. I don't know how those anybody takes pictures of that and then thinks, oh, yeah, let me share this. Uh, how that is supposed to be helpful to the case, I, I don't see it at all. It's, um, it's uh, disturbing and disgusting, quite honestly. The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zen for a spin. Zen nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Ready to start your new journey? Get in gear with the Zen 10 Challenge. Enjoy Zen nicotine pouches for 10 days and discover a fresher way to experience nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. Here's how to get started with the Zen 10 Challenge. Simply pick your strength and varieties online and check out. Once your Zen nicotine pouches arrive in the mail, enjoy pure nicotine satisfaction at your leisure. After your 10-day trial, let us know what you think. If Zen isn't for you, no hard feelings. It's that simple. Order online at Zen.com. That's Z-Y-N.com to start your new journey today with the Zen 10 Challenge. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's crime stories possible. It's Lisa Mattress. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new natural hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design icon West Elm, the natural hybrid is the culmination of the two companies' shared values of premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the natural hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. I want to do that. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Go to lisa.com forward slash Nancy to learn more. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com forward slash Nancy. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. 
Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. To Jessica Morgan, let's just walk for a a short distance down this flight of fancy, this this path to nowhere. It's a pig path. You know what a pig path is, right? You know how pigs won't run straight? They run all different ways. That's a pig path, and it leads to nowhere. Claims that someone other than Richard Allen is the killer Let's follow that through to its logical conclusion, Joe Scott. That would mean that someone had to go to Richard Allen's home, put a bullet in his gun, cycle it through without him or his wife or daughter ever knowing anybody was there, getting the bullet out, taking it to the crime scene, and dropping it between the two dead bodies, or some other way of stealthily obtaining a bullet out of his gun, replacing the gun, and then allowing the bullet to be found there. Basically, framing him. You think somebody's framing Richard Allen, the guy that confessed to his wife, crying and snotting on the phone to his mommy? Really? And, and, and you'd have to imagine that someone then also planted the cat hair. The cat's dead. In the backyard, buried. They had to exhume the cat, Joe Scott. So to believe someone else framed Richard Allen, what, did they go pluck the hair from the cat? Did they dig the cat up? I mean, this is insane. It doesn't make any sense to claim anyone other than Richard Allen did this. Or someone in this home, that leaves his wife and his daughter. I don't see it. I see Richard Allen. You got all all manner of of you know, goblins that are inhabiting this area. Who are I, these people? Delphi. I'd never heard of, of Delphi, Indiana before this occurred. Of course, I know it well now. I'm familiar with the families after all these years. And I got to tell you, you know, the fact that you would have all of these players come in uh, to enter on and off the stage of this, this tragedy and that it would be this idea that he's being framed somehow, you know, with this this whole Odinism thing. And now you've got this, you know, girlfriend, former girlfriend that's saying that the other person, you know, who is conveniently dead now is is the person that did this. Um, it, it really gives you pause to think about it. And, and let me just kind of plainly state this right now while I have your attention. Whoever released that photo, whoever sent that out, I still, and I know that there are charges pending. I do not understand at this point in time why a bench warrant was not issued for that individual and their ass was put in jail. 
uh, as a result of this, because this this can be something that is so incredibly damaging. The stuff that I that Mac and I have done over the course of our career, we enter on the other side of a veil, if you will, and no one is supposed to penetrate that because it, it screws up the continuity of the case. Everything that we do is protected. That's why we, we don't share it with other people. And if this person who has put this photo out there has ruined this case, we'll be into them because it, it could be that damaging. And I don't know what else may have happened along the way because it's taken so long for this case to move forward. Nancy, can I please jump in? Yeah, please do. And then I'll circle back. Go ahead. We started working together when I was in my early 20s. You would sometimes, I remember, spread the case file out and you would pray over each file. Never in the entire multiple decades that we worked together did you ever share a case file with me, photographs with me, statements with me that I was not directly involved in. You worked hundreds of cases, not once for show, not once for bragging, not once for you ain't going to believe this. Did you show me photographs? Never. So again, for somebody to leave those out when just a regular Joe off the street comes in, it's almost hard for me to believe that wasn't on purpose. And again, I'm going to go back to how do you introduce reasonable doubt? How do you taint a case? How do you throw it off track? They've done it beautifully. Photographs are leaked. Odinism is all of a sudden there. You got Ron Logan coming back from the grave. You got Richard Allen. You got Keegan Klein. They're just throwing every just little bit of mud they can on the wall to see what's going to stick. You know, Cheryl, speaking of those files, I remember distinctly, I don't know if you've ever seen flight attendants or pilots at the airport. They'll be going along with a little pull cart thing with their suitcases on there, I would stack up in U.S. mail buckets, those big white buckets, all the evidence at the end of every day of trial, there would be nothing left in the courtroom on the table, nothing. I'd stack it up and take it to my car, put it in my car myself, put it in my trunk, take it home with me and bring it inside every trial. There would not be a scintilla of evidence left for anybody to look at or see or try to decipher ever, much less pictures of the dead girls just laid out on a conference table for any Tom, Dick, and Harry to come in and ogle. It's just wrong. But that said, you're right, Cheryl McCollum. I expect at trial, Matthew Mangino, you're the high-profile lawyer, for every one of the names Cheryl just named out and more, anybody police looked at during the investigation as a potential POI, person of interest, they're going to be brought in in front of the jury, that mini investigation, to say they did it, not him. That's going to happen. So the state darn well better be ready for it. In their opening statement, they need to tell the jury, we investigated this guy. That was wrong. 
It wasn't him. We ruled him out. This guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. You've got to tell the jury up front. You've got to shoot them down before they even bring right. it up. Uh, yeah, and I agree with you, Nancy. And, and you know that's that makes the case more difficult uh, and extends the case for the prosecution. But they have to beat the defense to those issues. They they have to bring those people in, talk about what the investigation entailed, what the, who they looked at, why they moved away from that person as a suspect. They have to prove not only that, that Ellen did this, but these other people didn't. It, it, it adds to their responsibility because a jury is going to expect to hear that, and they want to beat the defense to the punch on that issue. Yeah. To you, Barbara McDonald, uh, star of Down the Hill podcast through HLN, what do you make of what's happening now and what is your prediction? Are we really going to trial on that trial date? Is there any chance for a plea? I am uh, not much of a gambler, but I, I wouldn't put money on a plea and I'm not so sure we're going to see a trial anytime soon. Um, it, it is the legal wrangling. It is all about these all of these attorneys now. Uh, the prosecutor is fighting with the defense. The defense is fighting with the judge. Um, I, I hope. Well, that happens in every trial. Yeah, but, it, it, you know, this is an unusual case that already went to the Supreme Court before we even had a verdict in this case. And the Supreme Court weighed in in a matter of hours, which was a very unusual um, step for them. Uh, the record needs to be established in this case. It needs to be maintained more clearly. It, it is a mess at the moment. And, um, you know, I, we need to get to a trial. Well, I will tell you, Barbara, that's true of every murder case I've ever tried. It's always a legal mess. And when you go to the state Supremes or the state appellate court, it's usually for an emergency ruling that is going to affect the discovery or the trial itself. They usually turn those around pretty quickly. As to all other appeals, forget about anything. Being, nobody's in a hurry. Mm -hmm. But on emergency appeals such as that, you can kind of get a quick turnaround. Few and far between. Susan Hendricks, what do you think? First of all, Kim Dumlap, hold on. Kim Dumlap, is, this is a death penalty state. Any chance of the death penalty? I, I haven't heard, you know, I, I can't say one way or the other. I haven't heard yet. Uh, nobody's brought that up in court filings. No one's brought uh, that up in court Well, we would know. You have to announce death penalty at the get-go. Uh, what about it, Cheryl McCollum? Any chance of a death penalty here? I say no. It would have been announced a long time ago. I think it would have been announced a long time ago, and I've heard nothing about it. I agree. Okay. This is what we know. The case set to go forward. Susan Hendricks, what do you make of what we've heard today? Well, I think through all of this mess and everything that's gone on in Becky's text this morning um, saying, wow, the craziness keeps coming. I believe they were re-victimized going through this, but they have their eye on the trial. They want justice. And why would anyone want to imply that Richard Allen did it. If he didn't, that means that the person or persons would still be out there. I do have faith in the system, and I believe they can find jurors who will look at the evidence. And I don't think we know all of the evidence, even within no. the leaks that we have seen and heard of. 
I have faith in it. But I, I agree with you, Susan Hendricks. We have not heard even a tiny portion of the evidence. And why should we? Cheryl McCollum, uh, to you, the fact that these girls had to be buried with scarves wrapped around their necks to cover up wounds is so much to take in, Cheryl. You know, Nancy, you're the first person that sent me there. And when I got to Delphi, I had a very similar experience that Susan and Barbara did. And that as soon as you get into town, I mean, it's picturesque, it's beautiful, everybody's super friendly, but there's no way you find that bridge if you're not from there. And so to me, the first thing that stuck is that he had to be from right there. There was no doubt in my mind. Once I walked to the bridge, same thing. And Susan and Barbara and you, we have all talked. The significance of the location and how it happened is paramount. And I will just leave you with this. They've got more that they haven't told us. They've got more that's going to come out. This is for trial. This is not for entertainment. It could not have been put any better than Cheryl McCollum just put it. We wait as justice unfolds. Goodbye, friend. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zinn for a spin. Zinn nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zinn 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free, spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical.